Colossians chapter 1. Boy, if that wasn't a backhanded compliment, I don't know what was. <laughs> All right, Colossians chapter 1. I thank God for our pastor and the fun we have together and the ministry here. Pray for this ministry. Pray for pastor and his family, the staff the deacons, and all the workers. Pray for each other. Lift each other up. Pray that God will protect and use this ministry. We need each other, and we need God involved. It's all about Jesus. Keep Jesus at the center, and we'll do just fine. We're in Colossians chapter 1, and again, if you remember, we are in the personal section of the book. Paul um, writes a personal introduction and greeting to the Colossians there, and this is through verse 14 of chapter 1, and then of course we'll go doctrinal, practical, and relational later. Um, I I wanted to give you a key idea or concept of the book, something for you to take away that you could say, what is the book of Colossians all about? Oh yeah, it's about X, Y, and Z. Now this is a bit lengthy, um, but it does summarize the main thoughts and ideas of Colossians. And in, in highlight, you can see, or in bold, you can kind of see really the main thought there. So let's go to the next slide, and I'll read this for you. Um, what is the key idea in the book of Colossians? Um, I'm not sure if that slide is uploaded. Key idea in Colossians? If it's not there, don't worry about it. Maybe it didn't get to Google Drive. Um, bummer. All right. Well, here it is. It is to combat major heresy in the Colossian church. Paul points to Jesus as the preeminent one in, the ch- in creation, in the church, and in the life, work, and home of the believer. All right? Did you catch that? Paul points to Jesus as the preeminent one in creation, the church, and the life, work, and home of the believer. With Christ at the center... The church can stay on the course laid out for them in the apostles' doctrine, and therein will find everything they need for a successful Christian life. All right? So uh, with Christ at the center, the church can stay on course because they're focused on the truth of God's word, the apostles' doctrine, and they find everything that we need uh, for a successful Christian life. Colossians is Paul's rumble strip message. Do you remember that? Rumble strip. What happens when you drive off the road and you hit those rumble strips? Whoa, you wake up, you get back on course. So this is Paul's rumble strip message to the church at Colossae. It's a wake-up call to do what? For them to keep Christ on the throne. The gospel is the word of truth. The gospel in the word of truth, excuse me, teaches that Christ is God in the flesh, crucified for the sins of the world, risen victorious over death and hell, and sitting on the right hand of God in authority over all creation. That's who Christ is. God in the flesh. Come down, virgin birth, lived a perfect life, died for your sins, buried, rose again victoriously, and is now seated on the right hand of God in authority over all of creation. That truth you need to keep in mind. Remember who Jesus is. Because the Colossian heresy was teaching otherwise, wasn't it? It was teaching that there's no way God could come in the flesh. Jesus is just an emanation of an emanation of an emanation of God. And what I mean by that is there's this um, sub-being from God that was able to create the physical world as we know it. That was the heresy that was being taught in that uh, Lycus River Valley, all right? And Paul here is saying, no, Jesus is God in the flesh. You remember that. He is the preeminent one in all of creation, in the church, and in your life, home, and work. And if you remember that truth, you'll stay on course. This truth is the guiding principle that allows the church to combat error and to produce fruit that gives Christ the glory that he rightfully deserves. So you can combat error and you can produce fruit if you keep this truth in mind. All right? So let's read the text together. I'll start in verse 3. We'll go down to verse 8, we'll pray, and then we'll jump in. The Bible says this, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love which ye have to all the saints. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you, 
since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God and truth. As ye also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us tonight, that your presence would be manifested, that your truth would be preached without error, Lord, without distraction. Lord, I pray that you would simply use me as a channel only to communicate your love, the hope of the believer, what we need to combat error and to produce fruit for the glory of Jesus Christ. Help us as a church to accomplish our four pillar statements. Lord, I pray that the focus on the gospel tonight would encourage us and would motivate us. Thank you for the enabling we have. Help us to walk in the spirit. Lord, I pray that the slide situation would not be a distraction, but Lord, that uh, again, your truth would be clearly communicated. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, and so my title this evening is Gospel Produce. And what I mean by that is you go down to the produce store. Remember those? And you get all your fruits and veggies down there. What does the gospel produce? My title is such because Paul talks about the wonderful fruit in the believer's life as a result of the gospel in this passage. And it's interesting that he starts with the gospel. What's he doing in the book of Colossians? He's writing to wake them up and to tell them, hey, you're starting to believe in error. You're getting off track. And what's he start with? He starts with the gospel. Start with the gospel. It's interesting to me that he does that. Um, you ever had a problem that uh, you don't know where to start? Um, I remember there was a, um, a wise and godly housewife once told me um, when she's overwhelmed, uh, there's laundry to do, the kids are needing changed, or, you know, homeschooling, all those things, and she didn't know where to start. She always started with the dishes, um, and it was just familiar to her. She, she started with the dishes, and then she had a clear counter, and it motivated her for the next task, and here, when Paul is facing an issue that could be overwhelming, how do you address these wacky errors and how do I get the Christians back on track start with the gospel right start with the gospel the gospel um, I often when I preach I will start with the gospel there's a lot that happens when you preach sometimes you get that phone call just before you come up right pastor and it's distracting or the slides you know aren't working the way that I intended or this that and the other and often when I preach I will go to the gospel and I will just preach the gospel and it warms me up. It motivates me. Um, it motivates the congregation talking about the sacrifice of Christ, the love of God, our redemption, our forgiveness. It discourages the devil, I think, because it reminds him of the power of the blood and the resurrection power that you and I have. It prepares the heart and it orients the mind back to the things of Christ. It focuses back it focuses our attention back on Jesus Christ. It orients us to Jesus. I remember uh, as a kid, I may not have all the facts of my story right, but I remember as a kid, one holiday, Grandma was supposed to come over, Grandma Klein. She was a funny woman from Hawaii, um, about four foot something, 11 maybe. Um, and she worked at a, like a RX type of store. It was It was like a prescription thing I don't know anyway um I think it was called the rx place ever heard of that no um well she worked there in a shopping center about 10 minutes from our home and she was supposed to come over for a holiday meal and so she got off at I don't know four o'clock and we're waiting and waiting and wait where's grandma you know and this was before that I don't think she had a cell phone back then or gps none of that stuff and so we're waiting on grandma we ever heard the old adage you can't get there from here well, that was exactly the way her mind worked. She did not know how to get from her work to our house, so she had to orient herself, and she drove 20 minutes the opposite way home. <laughs> oh, now I know where I am, and I can get there from here. She reoriented herself and then drove another 20 minutes to our house, right? Instead of just a quick trip around the corner to our house, hey, folks, if you have an issue, you feel lost, just go back to the gospel. 
Go back to the truth that Jesus is God and became flesh and lived a perfect life for you, took your sin to the cross, buried it, and rose again victorious and lives evermore to save all who call on him in faith. Orient yourself back to that truth about Jesus. Put him back at the center. Keep your eyes on him. And it's amazing what the gospel will do for you when you feel overwhelmed, when you feel lost, and you don't know where to start. And it's amazing what the gospel will do. It reminds us of God's love, of Christ's sacrifice, his resurrection power, and your forgiveness, your standing, and the miracle of the new birth. You start with the gospel, why? Because of what the gospel does. This is what the gospel does. And this is where Paul starts when he's facing the problem that the Colossians are facing. The gospel prepares the believer to receive spiritual truth. The carnal man can't receive spiritual truth. So you have to have the gospel first to prepare the believer. I believe the gospel. And what does Jesus do? He changes me. He saves me. It's the miracle of the new birth. I am a new creature. Remember that truth, Christian, that you are changed in Jesus. And the truth of God's word you can comprehend and you can apply. And don't be discouraged with those with whom are unsaved, maybe in your home, your neighbors, your co-workers. The gospel can change them. And they can understand God's truth and they can change their lives. And that's what the gospel does. It prepares the believer to receive spiritual truth. What else does it do? The gospel produces fruit in the life of the believer. When you go back to the gospel and you meditate on what God has done for you, the truth of the gospel, and the fact that you are risen with Christ and you are seated with Christ and you have an inheritance in Christ, when you remember that truth, you go on in steps of, of spiritual fruit being produced in your life. It produces fruit in the life of the believer. And then lastly, the gospel protects against doctrinal error and deviation of the heart. So here in Colossians, what is the major hurdle that the Colossians are facing? Doctrinal error. But the doctrinal error was about who Jesus was and their heart was being pulled in different directions. And often that happens to us, doesn't it? When we begin to believe the lies of the devil, when he tells us that there are things more important and more attractive than Jesus, what happens to our heart? It deviates. And we begin to take Jesus off the throne and put ourselves at the center and on the throne. And we want the world to rotate around us and we want to be worshipped and we want our desires to be fulfilled. And our heart now deviates from what we were made to do, which is glorify Jesus Christ. Go back to the gospel. Reorient yourself to the truth that the God of the universe died for you. The God of the universe loves you and conquered death and hell and sin for you. And then he took his righteousness and he clothed you with it. And in, in the sight of God the Father, he doesn't see your sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And for you there is laid up in heaven the blessed hope that Jesus is coming to take you home. And while you're here on this earth, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Go back to the gospel and these truths. And it will protect you from doctrinal error, believing the lies, and from heart deviation. Your heart will stay on course when you go back to the gospel. All right, so that all having been said, Paul starts with the gospel. Let's dive into an exposition of the book, all right? So here in verse 3, Paul says this, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Paul faces an issue here, and he says, we give thanks. Um, when you face issues in the church, make sure you give thanks for the people that are causing those issues, right? We're humans, and as I said a couple weeks ago, we're quirky, as any you can tell from my uh, illustration. <laughs> I am quirky, right? I had a lot of people thinking I was losing my mind, right? Um, and I know I rub people wrong, and, and some of you do. You're human. We're humans. And before we begin to complain and gripe and, and become bitter, 
stop and give thanks for your church. Paul was motivated to thank God for their faith. Thank you, God, that I belong to a community where we have faith in Jesus Christ, where we have the gospel in common, because I don't have that in common with the rest of the world. Thank you, God, for these people who are trying to do the right thing, as imperfect as we are. This group, this faith community is trying to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, trying to glorify Christ, trying to get out the gospel. Stop and give thanks for that. Thank God for the church. Don't complain about it and gripe about it and look for the other church that you think is going to be better. Stop and thank God for what you have here. We need to maintain an appreciation for the people of God because if we start focusing on our hurts that we feel from one another instead of focusing on the hurt that Christ felt for all of us, when we focus on our hurts, we're going to quit. And maintaining an appreciation and thankfulness for the people of God and for their faith and for their love um, if we don't do that, we're, we're, it's key to longevity in the ministry. We're going to quit. And he goes on, he starts with the gospel, right? Their faith. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They heard the gospel and they believed. And Paul was thankful because they were fruit of Paul's labor. Paul was imprisoned and shipwrecked and stoned and beat and all these things because he was out preaching the gospel. And somebody heard the gospel and took it back to Colossae and started this church. And Paul was very thankful for that. They were the fruit of his labor. And Paul was thrilled to be a part of it. And you're the fruit of somebody's labor. And I hope that we are seeing fruit. Aren't you thankful for this? Aren't you thankful for the good news of the gospel? Aren't you thankful that somebody decided to take the gospel into an area that had never heard it before? I guarantee you, you trace your Christian lineage back, there'll be some pioneer, some missionary, some, someone who took and suffered to get the gospel out to your people group, to your area of the world. Thank God for that. Thank God for these people's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a representation of the gospel that went out. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says this, But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If there's an issue in the church, just remember that you were reconciled, that we were enemies of God, but enter the gospel. And you had faith in Jesus Christ and you were changed. And the person sitting next to you in the pew, though you may have an issue with them, they've been reconciled as well. And because we've been reconciled to God, because of the gospel... Let's seek to reconcile with one another. Give thanks for them. You know, when there's an issue and you're tempted to become bitter or angry or do things that are hurtful and spiteful, stop and give thanks for them because it reminds you that, oh yeah, that they are a blessing. Thank you, God, for their ministry here. Thank you, God, for them ministering to my children. Thank you, God, for them ministering to the music department. Thank you, God, for this church, this community. Thank you that you saved them. Thank you that I know they pray for me. Give thanks, and it's often difficult to be angry at a person for whom you're praying or for whom you're giving thanks. It's amazing what thankfulness will do. 2 Corinthians 5.18, And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given us the ministry of what? Reconciliation. Hey, give thanks for the person sitting next to you, for their faith. And when there is an issue, Paul had an issue with them. There was a doctrinal error. He could have started with just a slam. You idiots, I told you what the gospel was. How can you get distracted? This is a ridiculous error. I can't believe. No, he said, I give thanks for your faith. You're a fruit of my labor. God saved you and you're a part of the family of God. I give thanks for you and your faith. And I think it helped Paul to have the right spirit to address their error. And we're to be in the business of reconciliation. Do we start with the whip? Or do we start with, God, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this person. Lord, please restore this relationship. He starts with the gospel. We've been reconciled to God, so we should reconcile with one another. Give thanks. That's the road to reconciliation. 
He also says in verse 3, praying always for you. Paul was moved to pray for them. um, And though he had an issue with them, though he was correcting an error, right? Um, He didn't complain about them without praying for them. Does that make sense? So don't complain about someone you have an issue with or someone you need to correct as Paul had to correct the Colossians without first praying for them. Because if you're not praying for them, you're going uh, to get frustrated by them. Uh, Don't complain if you're not praying for them. If you quit, you're probably not giving God enough time to answer that prayer. Say you have an issue with somebody in the church. You're trying to correct someone. They're stubborn. They're causing an issue. They're a, a burr under your saddle. Are you praying for them? Or are you just frustrated and complaining about it? Pray for them to mature through their issue. Pray that God will bring reconciliation. Pray that God will keep them on track and get them right with him. Give t- God time to answer that prayer. Don't complain about it and hop from church to church. That's not a healthy option. We're a body, right? We're a family. We're going to talk about faith, hope, and love. Work it out. That's what love does. That's a fruit of the gospel. Love for one another. Paul prays for them. He didn't just wash his hands and says, those dummies at Colossae, I'm just going to give them over to the, to the devil. If they want to go and run after some air, fine, let them go. No, he prayed for them earnestly, I believe. Had Paul ever met many of these Christians? No, he hadn't. But he faithfully prayed for these believers at Colossae because he had a burden and a love for them. He didn't complain about them. He went to the Lord for them. And before he corrected them, I guarantee you, he was praying for them often and fervently. If you, do, if you aren't praying for each other and you're complaining, you're going to be tempted to quit. And if you quit, you're not giving God enough time to answer your prayer. If you quit, you're probably not going to learn the lesson that God has for you, and you're probably not going to experience the blessing that God has for you. Pray for one another. Don't complain and quit. I've seen that. Someone gets angry, they get offended, they, they leave the church that God brought them to. And God had a lesson for them to learn. And God wanted to use them to be a blessing to another brother or sister to help them mature. And I wonder if they were not spending time in prayer for those that had offended them. They just got offended, washed their hands, quit, and went off to the next church or aren't in church today. Giving thanks and praying for one another is key to longevity in the ministry and ultimately bringing glory to Jesus Christ in the church where he should have the preeminence. Give thanks, pray for one another as Paul did. Now let's jump into verses 4 and 5. And here we focus on the fruit of the gospel. He says this, Since we heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. So, do you remember who got saved at Ephesus and took the gospel back with him to Colossae? Do you remember his name? Epaphras, Right? He was more than likely the the pastor at the church in Colossae. And Epaphras is getting wind of this doctrinal error that is in Laodicea and Hierapolis and and, um, Colossae. And he says, oh no, what do I do? So where does he go? He goes all the way to Rome to find Paul. And this is where Paul writes the letter. And the letter is delivered by Tychicus and Onesimus. And when Epaphras gets there, right? What does he tell Paul? Does he get there and say, Paul, you won't believe these Christians? I can't even, I don't even know if I should call them Christians. These people are, are believing error and, and running off to this and teaching things. They're a mess. Paul wants you to write a letter and I want you to scold them and whip them and bash them and just bring down the boom, Paul. Is that what Epaphras reports? Look what Paul says. He says, We give thanks, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you. Paul heard of their faith, hope, and love. Paul heard it. Where did he hear it from? Very likely from Epaphras, their loving and concerned pastor. 
So as Epaphras travels to Rome to tell Paul of their error and ask for help, what does he do? He says, let me tell you about the Christians at Colossae. Man, they have faith in Jesus Christ. And they love this. Man, I'm telling you, that church is characterized by love. And, and they are holding on to the hope that is laid up for them. So Epaphras gives a good report. And again, talking about reconciliation and issues within the church. When you're tempted to complain about your church, remember the good things, the good qualities, right? That was the first thing on Epaphras' mind. Paul, let me tell you about all the good things that are going on in Colossae. But there's an issue. Can you help me? And I think it's because of the good things that were going on, Epaphras was excited and really loved the people and wanted to see Christ glorified. And when that error entered in, he says, uh-uh, I'm not going to allow this in my church. You know, sheepdog mode, right? Paul, I need help because I love these people and they love the saints and they're faithful and, they're, and they have hope. Help me to combat this error. Do you love your church that way? When you talk about your church, is the first thing that comes out of your mind how friendly the people are and how wonderful they are and how they met needs with generators uh, uh, during a power outage and, and how they give to the community? Is the first thing out of your mouth um, a good report? like Epaphras, I believe, brought to Paul, or is it just complaining? Well, you know, they're kind of fuddy-duddy over there, and, you know, they don't let me do this, and everybody, what's the first thing that comes out of your mouth, even when you have an issue? When I have an issue in my home, I don't run around telling, oh, let me tell you about my wife and our argument the other day, or my kids, how bad they are. No, I, I praise my kids and my wife, right? I don't air my dirty laundry out there. Are you on social media telling everybody about all the issues that you're facing? Or are you in prayer giving thanks for your community, for your family, for, your, for the church? Praying for one another. Giving a good report and remembering all the good qualities that the gospel has produced in the lives of your brothers and sisters in the church. I believe that that was Epaphras' demeanor when he approached Paul. And it shows, I believe, in Paul's writing. Man, we give thanks for your faith, for your love, for your hope. Faith, hope, and love, you saw this elsewhere, didn't you? Several times. 1 Corinthians 13 is the, probably the most popular one. Here it's faith, love, and hope. And I believe that this is the recipe to an antidote to anxiety, fear, and doubt. Do you, do you face anxiety in your life? Right? overwhelmed with the bills maybe or all the the emails you have to catch up on um I was talking to linda tate and she had power outage uh, a power outage from like wednesday to sunday and um she finally got her computer up on i think saturday night and she said the most overwhelming thing was all the list of emails from her clients that she had to catch up on you feel anxiety because of that right Maybe you dread going on vacation because you know when you get back you're going to have a pile you know, to catch up on. Maybe some fear. Fear about how you're going to meet deadlines or pay the bills or how you're going to guide your kids on the right path. You're doubting whether or not you have the tools to, to make a successful and godly home or to be successful at work or whatever it may be. Faith, love, and hope. And really, the gospel encapsulates all those things. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be, be saved. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Somebody preached to you the gospel. In the gospel is, is uh, encapsulated the love of the creator who gave his son for you. Remember the love of God and the sacrifice that that love gave. And then the hope, not a subjective feeling, but the hope, which is the blessed return of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's coming again for you. He's preparing a place. You have that because of the gospel. Paul hears about this. He's encouraged because they're the fruit of his labor. Let me ask you, what impact is your faith having on your pastor, on others that maybe have ministered to you, prayed for you? Is your faith evident as their faith was evident? And again, this faith is not subjective. This is important. He says, I give thanks for your faith uh, in Christ Jesus, verse 4. 
This faith was in who? It was in Jesus Christ. It was subject, uh, excuse me, objective, not subjective, right? The world, I think, looks at the church and thinks, oh, they're people of faith. Or you've heard, just have faith. Faith in what? Faith in who? Our faith is in something solid, someone who lives today. His name is Jesus Christ, the resurrected Son of God who died once for sins, but is alive forevermore. Death hath no more dominion over him. If you fear death or have anxiety about how you're going to live in this world, remember him who lives. Remember him who conquered death. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. Someone brought the gospel and preached words to them about Jesus Christ, and they had faith, objective faith in Jesus Christ. I'm coming back to the gospel, folks. The gospel was preached to them. Their faith was in Jesus Christ because he was preached clearly. And what was the expectation of the believers there in Colossae? That they would also take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now let me park here for a moment because of what faith in the gospel can do. It can produce fruit in the life of the believer. It can save a soul from hell for all of eternity. If you've had faith in Jesus Christ, it's produced a new creature in you. And hopefully you'll have the faith to believe his word that he's with you and he's given you power to the end of the world and that you ought to take the gospel to every creature because it'll change them too. It's the power of God unto salvation to all that call on his name. And we've got to get out there and yes, live holy lives, but the gospel requires words. We'll get there. Faith is objective. We've got to preach Jesus Christ. People can't just see a person who is a man of faith, they need to know that he believes in Jesus Christ. And the only way to do that is to tell them with our words. Someone gave the gospel, let's do the same. Now also, I just want to bring this up. When we're disoriented because of our issues, anxiety, we feel depressed perhaps, we get scared, we have a problem that's overwhelming, you've already placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you know you have a home in heaven, you know you're a child of God, we'll go back to the gospel go back to the gospel because what it does is it brings our faith back to Jesus Christ, back to something objective. You see, sometimes you and I, Christian, we, we get knocked around by the world and we get lost. And we remember that we have faith and, and sometimes we quote scriptures, but I think our faith is in all the wrong things. It's in our pastor, or it's in my upbringing, or it's in whatever it may be, and I've got to come back to the gospel. Oh yeah, it was Jesus who died for me, and Jesus who was buried, and Jesus who rose again, and Jesus who's coming back. I believe in him. I believe his words. And when you place your faith on something objective, something hard and fast, it's the gospel for the believer. It brings you back something solid so that you can continue and solve your problem and be successful in your Christian life. He goes on and he says this, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, something objective, and of the love which you have to all saints. Love for the saints is a byproduct of faith in the gospel. So he, he gives thanks for their faith in the gospel and then he references their love for all the saints. When we place faith in Jesus Christ, we're changed because we heard the gospel and we believed. What happens to you, Christian, at that moment? The new birth happens. Okay? We were dead in trespasses and sins and God makes us alive. We're born again. We're born from above. That's a, that's a miracle that God does in you. You're a new creature. You then have the ability to love as you should. Before Jesus Christ, you couldn't love the way Jesus Christ calls us to love. But when we're born again, something miraculous happens, something new happens, and we're given the ability as a new spiritual creature in Christ to love as we should. And this is a fruit of the gospel. The gospel came in and, it, and they placed their faith in Christ and it changed them. And Paul was giving thanks to God for this. And Paul was continuing to pray for them that they would continue to mature in their faith for Christ and in their love for one another. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love or charity. 
Because love is what makes the difference. And I hope that you'll go back to the gospel when you're struggling to love one another. Because you're reminded that I was a rotten, stinking, dirty sinner who had broken the law of God and was good for nothing, but God loved me. And he gave his son for me that I might know him and fellowship with him. I didn't deserve that. No more did my brother or sister who may have offended me. But I've been reconciled to God through the gospel, and the gospel should motivate me to love the sinner that Jesus died for. And by the way, since I've been reconciled, I've been given the ministry of reconciliation. The Colossian Christians had an an issue, and Paul didn't wash their hands of them. Epaphras didn't say, these guys are stubborn and they won't listen. I'm just going to, God, call down fire and start again. No, he, love, took action. I guarantee you he was praying for them. And he loved them. And he traveled all the way to Rome to to find the solution to their issue. And Paul writes and says, man, I've heard of your faith. I've heard of your, your love for all the saints. The love that is a result of your faith in the gospel. You've been reconciled. And you're, you're seeking to reconcile with one another. Christians, do you have love for the saints to your left and to your right? Love for and of God produces a love for people. It motivates toward obedience and nurtures a drive to share the gospel. Is love evident in your life? If it's not, where do you go? Back to the gospel. Start with the gospel. If you haven't figured it out yet, that's the theme of my message. Start with the gospel. Paul did. When Paul was facing this uh, mammoth issue with the Colossian church, how do I even begin to to talk to them about this Gnostic mysticism and and Jewish law-keeping? Let me go back to the gospel. The truth that Jesus is God and loved them and gave himself for them and took their sins to the cross, was buried, rose again, victorious over death and hell, and he lives to save all who call in faith. Oh yeah, I'm going to start right there with the truth that Jesus is alive and is preeminent in the church, in creation, and in the the life of the believer. Go back to the gospel. If you're struggling to love the believer, go back to the gospel. Be reminded of his love, of of his sacrifice, and of your standing in him. As believers, we should have a love for one another. God loves them, we should too. These are souls for whom Christ died. Don't quit. Don't wash your hands and move on. The grass is not greener over there, folks. If you believe that this is the church to which God led you, then these are the people to which God led you to love. And if you have a difference, what does a family do? Do they cut the cord and find a new family? No, they work it out. That's what love does. And I've seen people who leave the church and then just act spitefully toward the people of God. There's no love for the saint. But the gospel, if we go back to the gospel, this love would be produced in us. He thanked God for the love that was a byproduct of the gospel in these believers. And then in verse 5, he says this, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven. And that word for is interesting. It, it basically means on account of, right? Right? So he says, on account of the hope. So what's he talking about in verse 4? The love for the believer on account of the hope which is laid up for you. Now remember I talked about this hope. That it was not um, a feeling inside of you, like a subjective feeling. You know, I hope, I hope, I hope. I hope the Eagles win the Super Bowl. Well, that was a disappointment, you know. Um, No, it's the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. What is that? That Jesus is God and he's at his father's right hand. He's preparing a place and he's coming back as he said he would. That is the hope I have. It is the anticipatory assurance that Jesus will do exactly what he said he would do. That is where my faith is. I have hope. And because of that hope, what is that encapsulated in? The gospel The gospel tells me that Jesus is who he said he is and that he did what he did out of love for you and me. And when I place my gaze on the hope that is laid up for me in heaven, I get excited about it. 
And I get excited to be a part of a community that shares that in common. And you know what that develops within me? A love for you. A love for all the saints. We're a part of something amazing. We're part of God's family. You've been reconciled. I've been reconciled. Let's make sure that we're reconciled. Let's live lives of reconciliation and unity and love and peace and all the fruits of the, God, of the Spirit so that when the world looks on, they might be tempted to be reconciled too. And because of the hope that is laid up, on account of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven, he's referring to the love for all the saints. What is the... What does hope, assurance, faith in the gospel produce? Love for the believer. Love for all the saints on account of the hope that is laid up for you in heaven. And that hope is the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel connection? It's faith in the gospel that gives hope. And faith comes by hearing. So let's be busy about spreading the gospel seed so that others might believe and have the hope and enter our community, enter the family of God and see the love for all the saints grow and him glorified in the church, Christ having the preeminence. Verse five, whereof ye heard, he says. Well, how did they hear? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how can they hear without a preacher? You say, Pastor CJ, I'm not a preacher. So I can't witness to my neighbor. I can't witness to my uh, coworker or my family member. Well, you're not off the hook that easy, all right? Though there are men who are designated as preachers of the gospel, it is every believer's responsibility and privilege to share the gospel. Let's continue the tradition. Somebody, some saint brought the gospel to you. There was Paul in Ephesus preaching the gospel in the school of Tyrannus. And here comes Onesimus. And, or excuse me, uh, what's his name? Not Philemon. Philemon. Yes. <laughs> uh, here comes Philemon. And here comes um, Epaphras. And they hear the gospel, right? And they, they thank you, Paul, for being shipwrecked and beaten and stoned and imprisoned. Thank you for doing all that to get me the gospel. I'm going to take this gospel back with me. I'm going to carry the gospel back to Colossae. And we're going to start a church in the house of Philemon. Uh, and man, look at the great things happening here. Thank God for the tradition of God sending the gospel and the saints carrying the gospel. Let's carry it on. Because there's... Remember I said that we're here in a university town. You never know the next college student from Sri Lanka or from who knows where that could take the gospel with them because of the ministry of Ann Arbor Baptist Church and start a Colossian church back in their home country. You just never know. Let's be faithful about carrying the gospel. The world must hear. And if you believe what Jesus said about judgment, and if you have a blessed hope which produces love for his saints, you're going to carry the gospel into the world because you want to make everybody a saint. You want to get the gospel out. That's the fruit of the gospel. He goes on, and I'll try to hurry. In verse 5, he says, For the hope which is laid up for you, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. And my, my focus here is going to be on the idea of the word of the truth of the gospel. The gospel is the truth. That's what Paul was telling them. Guys, get back to the truth. You're getting off course, rumble strips, stay on course, get back to the truth that is encapsulated in the gospel, that Jesus is God, he is preeminent. And what did Jesus say about the truth? That it would set you free. It will set you free from your anxiety, your, your fear, your doubts. Um, he says, the word of the truth of the gospel. And it's in the word or the words that God gave us that we find that truth. Again, the faith in the gospel was very objective. It's in Jesus Christ. And there's this idea today, and I don't think we fall into this necessarily here at this church, but of lifestyle evangelism where I can just live a good life and be holy and I never have to say anything. People will just fall down on the street because I'm such a holy person 
and get saved. No, they won't. They won't. Yes, live a good life so that when you open your mouth, your lifestyle and your words are consistent and they say, wow, isn't that interesting, right? Uh, but we still have to give the words. Words is what makes us unique from all the rest of creation. We can communicate ideas, very complex ideas, and communicate our love, right, through words. So it's the word of the truth of the gospel. And when you are lost or, 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 or discouraged or you have a problem that seems overwhelming, get back to his words, meditate in his words get back to the gospel go to john three sixteen. read through the book of romans go through the romans road and remind yourself with the words of god of the truth of the gospel that will set you free and it's the words preached that are the gospel that set people free from an eternity in hell and bondage to their sin it's the good news to the world and it's the good news that unites us You've been saved and you've been saved by that good news that we heard, the truth of the word of God. It's good news, folks. Share it. Hey, Christian, can I encourage you? Live like you just heard some good news. So many of us, and I'm guilty, we live like we just heard the worst news ever. Oh, I'm so tired and I'm so beat up and I'm so discouraged and I have problems at school and I have problems at church and I have problems... Man alive, it sounds like you've never heard the good news of the gospel. Get into the words. And if you meet a Christian like that, speak some words to them. Speak some words of encouragement, some words of life, the words of the gospel. Remember, Jesus loves you, died for you. You have an eternity in heaven. You've got good things waiting. and You've got the power of God right now to overcome your difficulties, to overcome your anxiety. It'll set you free. Speak the words of the truth, especially the gospel. And remember, Christian, it's good news. You heard it. You were changed by it. Live like you just heard some good news. Don't let bad news determine your demeanor. Live like you heard some good news. Let me talk quickly about um, what the gospel is and the word, the truth, right? The word of God, the truth of God have been likened to light, right? Light. Shows us our way, exposes darkness. Um, and then today we're talking about the fruit as a result of the gospel. So words were spoken to you. You believe those words, the gospel, the truth. And as a result, there was fruit in your life. And if you're living a gospel-centered life, a Christ-centered life, there should be light about you. There should be fruit about you, right? Well, when it's dark outside and there's a light on on the porch, what does it attract? bugs right so you have your citronella candle and you're trying to you know all those good i love a good bug zapper man i don't know if about about you as a kid oh that's a big one yeah right um when the bugs come because of the fruit right that's coming soon springtime's coming the fruit flies my wife uses a little cup of apple cider vinegar pokes holes in the self or yeah catches the bugs um if we are a church that are living um, the truth of the gospel. It's evident in our life. People see the light of the gospel. We're producing fruit. You know what it may attract? It may attract bugs. It may attract people who are upset about what's going on. And the devil's going to send some bugs to discourage you, to distract you, some errors, some lies. Um, we've got to be, we've got to take measures, right, to, uh, to get rid of those bugs so they don't spoil our fruit, so they don't discourage us. If I'm sitting out on the back porch and the light's on and I'm in, enjoying a cup of tea or whatever and there's too many bugs, guess what I do? I go inside and turn the light off. Don't let the bugs discourage you from shining your gospel light. Don't let bugs that Satan will send, uh, disunity amongst yourselves, uh, whatever it may be, discourage you from producing the fruit of the gospel because it will nourish somebody. It will draw somebody. So stay faithful. Be fruitful. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It's the gospel ministry is too important to let the bugs discourage you from the gospel ministry. So when you have a problem, where do you start? You start with the gospel. 
Start with the gospel because of what it does. It produces fruit. It protects from doctrinal error and heart um, deviation. And uh, what did I say? It produces, it protects, and it prepares. It prepares the believer to produce fruit. An unsaved person has to hear the gospel. And you and I often complain about all the wackiness going on in the world. Right? There's, there's wickedness going on in the world. And it's as though we're banging our fist on the table and saying, why won't they produce gospel fruit? Well, have you preached the gospel to them? The church is sitting comfortably in their pews, never opening their mouths and yelling at the world that they're living such wicked lives. That doesn't make any sense. Give them the word of the truth of the gospel and it'll prepare them to produce fruit. It will produce fruit. They may see others saved and it will protect us from doctrinal error and heart deviation. God sent it. Thank God for it. Let's carry it on. In verses, you know what? Pastor, I'm going to wrap it up there because of time and I will open up this section again potentially next week. And we will get in uh, to the faithful ministers of the gospel, namely uh, Epaphras, who was faithful to take that gospel with him. Will you be faithful with the gospel? If you're facing an issue, start with the gospel. Be reminded of the, of the love of Christ and the power of the resurrection. Reorient yourself to the truth of the gospel so that you can carry on the journey that God would have for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your truth and your word. Lord, I pray that this truth would simply encourage us to go back to the gospel. Lord, it was the gospel that saved us and changed us for all of eternity. Lord, I pray that we would be faithful with it, that we'd be good stewards. Many of us, I fear, might hear uh, on that day, not well done, but what did you do with the gospel that I entrusted you with? Father, I want to be faithful. I want to produce fruit in my life, and I want to carry the gospel with me. So Lord, remind us when we're discouraged, we have an overwhelming problem, get back to the gospel. Lord, when the world is um, just living in wickedness and sin, help us to get back to the gospel. That's the answer. Thank you for your truth, Lord. We pray that we'd be fruitful and productive for your glory to give you the preeminence. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.